I'd like for you to turn to the 8th chapter of Romans, if you will. Romans 8. Well, the 8th chapter, verse 28, is one we can quote. Let me read it out of the New American Standard. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren, and whom He predestined, these He also called, and whom He called, these He also justified, and whom He justified, these He also glorified. I want to make a statement I think is true and then we're going to change one word in that statement somewhere in this uh, sermon. So I want you to see if you can figure out which word we're going to change. The statement I believe that is true that we make up front is that we want to have victory over our circumstances. We want to have victory over our circumstances. Now we're going to change one word in that statement to make it more true. And you can guess which one word it is. There are two kinds of circumstances. There are the circumstance, the kind of circumstances that we can change. And there are the kind of circumstances that we would change if we could, but we can't. We've tried. We've done our best to change them. We've even prayed the Lord would help us or would change them, but we just won't change. And we see all um, unfavorable circumstances as barriers to our progress. All unfavorable circumstances are like obstacles in the way to where we want to go. And so we pray, Lord, if you'll just change this circumstance, it'll just be so much better for me. Just blow this circumstance away and things will be greater, be better. And we make a mistake when we see every circumstance or we see circumstances as obstacles to where we want to be or where we want to go. In the 49th chapter of the book of Isaiah, there's an interesting insight. God's people have been in captivity in Babylon for almost 100 years and now they've been liberated and it's time to go back to Jerusalem. But on the way back to Jerusalem, to get back to Jerusalem, they have to cross this tremendous mountain range. And so these, the Bible sees this, these mountains as obstacles in the way between, uh, their, between where they are and where they want to be. The obstacles are barriers to get back to Jerusalem. And God says in the 49th chapter of Isaiah, I will make all my mountains a path. I want you to underline that thought in your mind. It's not, I will make a path over these mountains for you. That'd be pretty spectacular if that were the case. He didn't say, I'll make a path around the mountains or even through them. He said, I will make the mountains themselves the path, the access to where you need to be. 
I will make the mountains a means for you to get where you want to be. Now, here's the word we're going to change in the, in the uh, upfront statement. What do you think the word is? Laodera, you got a right to be wrong, so which, which word do you think it is? Well, I'll give you a hint. Starts with an O. It's the word over. We're going to change the word over. We need victory over our circumstances to this word, to this statement. We need victory through our circumstances. For it is true that oftentimes the circumstances that we would like to change are actually the means, the path that God has provided for us to get where we need to be so that the circumstances become an access to our success or an access, a means to the goal or the end we all desire, God desires for us, and we see them as obstacles. Now, I did a little um, preparation tonight, a little visual work here. Now, on your, on your work sheet, I want you to make a triangle just like this. Three dots. And at the top of that triangle, you, at that dot on the top, I want you to write, you put, what is it? The purpose of God. Purpose of God. You doing that right quick? On one base, on the, and the, at the base of the triangle, at one end, a, a dot, it has predestination of God. And on the other, the providence of God. The purpose of God, the predestination of God, and the providence of God. Now we're going to look at this um, passage in light, of that, um, in light of that triangle. I don't know what's on the other side of that, so I better turn it down. <clears throat> now, first of all, the purpose of God. What do you really believe is God's purpose for every believer? It's absolutely essential that a believer get a grasp on what God's purpose for every believer is. What do you think is the goal to which God is directing or leading every believer? Well, the purpose of God or the goal of God for every believer is in verse 29, it's this, that we might be conformed to the image of His Son. That's the purpose of God for every believer. And that's the reason why, really, you were saved. Did you know that you were saved not so you could go to heaven or escape hell? The reason you were saved was that you might be conformed to the image of His Son. Now, we don't get out of the first chapter of the Bible without discovering that word image. The Bible says that man was created in the image of God, and all that that, that, that involves and means is enormous. About two years ago, a, a, a girl who is uh, not a member of this church uh, was a, is a student over at OBU, and at Christmas time, she came by my office and she said, do you have any material on the subject of the image of God? She said, I've got a paper that's due when I get back from holidays, Christmas holidays, a 12-page paper on the subject of the image of God. There's a lot of stuff about the image, that, that term, the image of God. All that, whatever else it means, it means this. When it says that man was created in the image of God, it means that man has a capacity to know and worship God. It means that man has a capacity 
to know and worship God. And that's what makes man, man. I don't get all upset when I hear about the, you know, the discovery of some prehistoric man who lived seven billion years ago, you know, somewhere. And, and he said, well, you know, that predates Adam and all that, you know, that man. I don't know if he's a man or not. I mean, just because he stands upright and walks on two feet and looks like a man, that doesn't mean he's a man. A man is, this is a man, a man, a hum, humanity is, that, that that person has the capacity to know and worship God. I got a beautiful little dog over my backyard. Precious is her name. Kind of silly name for, Precious is her name. And smart, as a, sharp as a, as a whip. But you know, I go out and put her Alpo out there in the, in the bowl, and, and I don't see her bow her head and, you know, fold her, paw, her paws, you know, and have prayer. Now, you know, uh, bless this food to the nourishment of my body. You know, I don't see her. You know, animals, uh, creatures don't have the capacity to know and worship God. That's what makes man, man. Now, when man sinned, in the primal sin, that, that image was marred. It's like a burned out building. You've gone to a burned out building and it's just been gutted on the inside, but the walls are still standing. So that even though man, even though his capacity to know God and that image was marred, yet he still has an innate ability, an innate desire to know and worship God. And the reason why the purpose of salvation was to restore that innate ability, that perfect fellowship that man once enjoyed. And so John says in 1 John, it has not yet appeared what we shall be, but when he shall appear, we shall be like him. We'll be like the one we were created after, you see. And God's not willing to wait for that, see. So little by little, he goes to work to create, to conform us, form us into the image of his son. And if you imagine this marble slab with somebody chipping away at it with a design in mind, that's the picture you get here. The purpose of God is that man be like Jesus. All right? What is the predestination of God? Now, to use that term is to open a box of unanswerable questions. Anybody here tonight that thinks they know the, what predestination is, stand up and tell the rest of us. You know, you, we don't, we, that, that's just one of those um, things that are un, uh, subjects or theology, that part of, of theology that we can't really uh, understand or explain. I want to say two things about the predestination of God we do know. One is this. That predestination guarantees the purpose of God. Now, if the purpose of God is that every believer be conformed to the image of His Son, the predestination of God, which is very much in this passage, guarantees that that's going to happen. Someone might say, well, what if a person is never conformed to the image? What if it doesn't work? It will work. Second thing we know about predestination is this, that predestination is a decision that is fixed in eternity and can neither be altered or changed. Now watch that carefully. Predestination is a decision that God made in eternity past that can neither be altered nor changed. 
so that God has predetermined that every believer be conformed to the image of His Son, and it is impossible for a saved man not to become like Jesus. Now, if you don't ever discover anything in your life, you need to discover that. It is impossible for a saved man not to become exactly like Jesus. For he who has begun a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. That means that if he started his work in you, he's guaranteed, it, he, he, he guarantees that he's going to complete it. Predestination of God. Now let's go to the providence of God and spend a little time there. And that's going to help us to understand the predestination of God. The providence of God. Now the providence of God is that work whereby God is accomplishing His purpose day by day, every day of our life. It is that daily, those daily experiences whereby God day by day accomplishes His purpose. Now what was His purpose? His purpose is that we be conformed to the image of His Son and His providence which is guaranteed by the predestination of God, is the work by which God accomplishes that on a daily basis. That's so important. And this providence of God arises out of or emerges from His foreknowledge. Now foreknowledge means that God sees beforehand and there's a difference between foreknowledge and predestination. I've, used, I've said this, I've given this many times, this example, but I need to give it again. Most of you don't remember it. Most of you don't remember what happened yesterday, but that's another problem. But if you were to see somebody, you, you know, you're standing out in the front and you saw two cars coming down the street and you knew that, that they were going to run together out here on the corner, you could see that happening before it happened. You knew that was going to happen before it happened. You could just see it. That's foreknowledge, but you didn't, you didn't make it happen. You just knew it was going to happen before it happened. Now, foreknowledge is what God sees beforehand. doesn't necessarily mean that He makes it happen. He just sees it beforehand. Now, there is something inherent in this word to see beforehand. You don't get on the surface, and it, it's this that he not only sees beforehand, but he plans accordingly. So that God plans because of what he sees beforehand. He plans according to what he knows before it ever happens. So that means that never, nothing ever happens to you that is a surprise to God. Isn't that amazing? Now, God works all things together. That's His providence. And seeing beforehand, He begins to take all these things and works them together on the basis of being able to see beforehand. Um, you, you have, any of you ladies here, uh, any of you ever make a, you, you still do, y'all, do y'all make cakes from scratch? Anybody? L lift your hand. Get her name. Hey, get their names. Yeah, there's just nothing like, Margaret, did you see them? Uh, let me see those hands. Okay. Uh, we we want to know, we want to get one of those cakes made from scratch. You don't get it out of, you don't get it out of a box. Mr. Parker, you, you make your own? 
from some of them. You make your own? Get her name. We want. All right. Now, my mother used to make the, <clears throat> those uh, cakes from scratch. Okay. Now, she, she, you know, Saturday afternoon, maybe, you know, an after, she'd get all this material and put it out here on the table. And I love chocolate cake. <clears throat> you know, okay. So, you get some, you got some chocolate. You got your baking soda. You got your chocolate here. You got your baking soda here. And you got your raw eggs here. And got a little salt here. Um, a lot of little flour over here, you see, and all it takes, that's probably not everything, but, but, but that's enough to make the illustration. Now, any one of those things, if you just, just ate it separate, would, would be terrible, wouldn't it? You, know, you love to eat baking soda, you know, right out of a box. I mean, everybody likes to eat raw eggs, you know. Just, but, every, you know, if you, if, you, if you took one of those in, you know, ingredients by itself, It'd be, it'd be absolutely, you know, repulsive, you know, obnoxious, terrible. But when you mix it all together, see, all of a sudden that batter, little vanilla, all, that, all of a sudden that batter just, man, tastes great, doesn't it? I mean, you know, we could just call it licking the bowl. You know what I'm talking about? We, never, we didn't lick it. Some of us did. My mother wasn't watching. But, you know, actually it was get a spoon, you know, and you and you'd get the edges, the, the batter was left on the side. You remember that? Y'all remember that? And, and that's called licking the bowl. And that batter is just so good. It's because when you put all the ingredients together, this makes it so delightful and palatable. Now, any one of the experiences that come to your life, if you, ex if you took that and isolated it, you would never, ever say that was good. But God, and God doesn't want us to, you know, try to swallow that. What God does is that he takes the experiences of life and causes them as he puts them together. He causes them to work for good. And the, and, and, and the, and the construction is that it keeps on doing that. It means that he never wastes an experience, not a single one. The greatest example in the Bible of that is Joseph. Now, my Sunday school class have been studying, we've been studying Joseph for three months. Um, more print on Joseph in the, in the book of Genesis than Adam or Moses or Abraham, believe it or not. It's a, he's a type of Christ. We've been studying Joseph because, you know, over and over we have made the point that something was happening in the life of Joseph that ought to remind us of something yet to be. Now, you know the story. His brother sold him down into slavery, you know, and they, they went back and told their father that he was dead and all that story. And down there, he was betrayed and, and, and spent some time down in the dungeon, finally got out and became the, 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 the prime minister of the, of the nation of Egypt. And God had him there for a specific time, a specific reason. When a drought came back here in, 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 in the land where his fathers lived, they, they went down to Egypt. And he'd already seen in a dream about this drought. You know how the story goes. And so he, 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 he stored up all this food and saved it for the drought. His brothers came down there 17 years later. They didn't even recognize him. When he revealed himself to them as their brother, 
that sold he, that they had sold into captivity slavery. They were scared to death, of course. He's the high muckety muck of Egypt, and 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 they they are afraid what he's going to do. And this is what he says in verse nineteen of chapter fifty. He said, "Don't be distressed or grieved or angry at yourself. God did it. God made meant it for good." Don't worry about what happened because God did it. Now, watch this. You're not going to think that God caused the brothers to treat him that way because God's not the author of evil. And you're not going to think that God orchestrated this woman telling a lie about Joseph because God is not the author of lies. The devil is. Well, what Joseph was saying with tremendous insight was this, that God took it all together and put it together and made it work for good. That means two things. It means that God is in control of every situation. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God just wound you up and put you out here to take, take care of your own, you know, take care of yourself? Everything that happens must, first of all, pass by the will of God because God controls every situation. And Job knew that. Job understood that because way back at the beginning, when, when, when Satan came and, and, and in that little council and said to, to God, if you took your hand off of Job, and, didn't put, and took down this shelter you have around him, he'd curse you to your face. And God said, okay, I'll permit, I'll permit this test. Understand that, that everything that happens to you must first come at the permission of God. Somebody said that every blade of grass that moves does so with God's permission alone. He's in control of every situation. The second thing that this means is that God uses every circumstance. He uses every circumstance. You ever tried to nail a nail with a, with a heel of a shoe? I've done that often. It doesn't work too good. Or a handle of a butcher knife or a screwdriver. That's what we do around our house most of the time. Can't find what, what's made for that. But you know, there are certain tasks. There are tasks that have tools especially designed, perfect tools designed for those tasks to accomplish them. There are certain tools that God uses to, to, to accomplish His purpose for us, and that is that, he, that we be conformed to His image. And those tools that He uses are the circumstances that come in life. And that makes sense. He even makes servants out of our enemies. Now, would you agree with me tonight that when Joseph's brothers did all they did to him, that they, at the time they were doing that, that they were his enemies? Would you agree with me there? That they, that I'd say they were. Certainly weren't his friends. With friends like that, you don't need enemies. He was, they, were there, they were acting as enemies. And would you agree tonight, shake your head like this if you agree, this if you don't, You've got a right to be wrong. Would you agree that when they did what they did to Joseph, they were sinning against him? Would you agree they were? I would. 
I would say that when these boys, these brothers, did this to their brother Joseph, lied to their father, that they were sinning against their own brother. Now, third thing, would you say that, that if that had not happened, that everybody in Joseph's family, in Jacob's family, would probably have starved to death? They probably would have. Because the scripture says that this drought got so severe, they ran out of food. Now, if you put all that together, and if you agree that what they did was a sin as an enemy of their brother, but had they not do it, done it, they would have never survived. And when you put that together, it says this, that their sin literally became their salvation. That's the kind of God we have. He takes man's sin and accomplishes man's salvation with it. The cross is an example of that. And if you read the book of Acts, we did that last Wednesday night, he talks about the fact that the cross was orchestrated by God and yet he condemns them for doing it. And what he's saying is this, that God took this horrible instrument of man's sin and accomplished salvation with it. Now if God can do that, he can take any circumstance that comes to us and with that circumstance accomplish our good, our salvation. I love it. Now I've discovered that God is not primarily interested in changing circumstances. I've done a lot of praying about a particular circumstance in my life. It's none of your business. I, you're thinking, I wonder what that is. <laughs> I've, I've done a lot of praying about a particular circumstance in my life, and I've discovered that God's not interested in changing that. And I can, you know, whine and, 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 and groan about the fact that God doesn't answer my prayer if I, you know, if I want to, but I don't need to do that. I just need to recognize that God is not primarily interested in changing circumstances. But you know what? If I were in control, I probably would have changed. I would change probably. But God is not interested in doing that. What He is interested in doing is changing character. Now what, if you run from your circumstances, if you run from circumstances, just mark this down. You just, God, you're just going to make God get a, develop a whole new set of circumstances. You don't like the ones you, you got going on. You run from those. He's just going to get some new ones. Because God is not interested in changing circumstances as He is in changing character. And if He changes character, then, then perhaps He changed circumstances. If He doesn't, it doesn't matter because we're changed. Do you see what I'm saying? So that in the circumstance, he changes what he really wants to change. He changes us. Now the question is, how do I react to the circumstances? Well, Paul tells us that in 1 Thessalonians 5.18 when he says, in everything give thanks. He doesn't mean that we're to feel thankful for everything that happens. He just means that we are to recognize 
with gratitude that God is in control of every situation and that that situation has not happened to me without God's permission. A good God, by the way. Now, at the end of your worksheet, you have three little places there for three, um, what does it say, uh, applications? Scratch out the third one. There are just two that I can find. Number one, with this in mind, this purpose of God, predestination that's guaranteed that God's purpose will be accomplished, and this is how He's going to do it, with the providence day by day. I can do two things. I can practice this in the area of my prayer life. Now, looking back at verse 26, and in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, I've made this statement. I've heard it made many times. I guess it's why I made it. It's because I heard somebody else and it sounded good. I've made this statement, haven't you? Be careful what you pray because you might get it. You ever said that? I've had that said to me a lot of times. Be careful what you pray because you might get it. I don't want to ever say that anymore. I'm not sure that that's good counsel. What it implies is, be careful what you pray. What it implies is that if you pray for something, you might go ahead and get it even though it's bad for you. See what I'm saying? And if Romans 8, 28 through 30 is accurate, and it is, nothing can ever happen to you that's bad for you. So that even if I don't know how to pray and my heart is right, I'm living under the control of the Holy Spirit and I'm praying in the Spirit, He takes the faulty prayer and makes that work for my good. See what I'm saying? So that I can practice this in my prayer life. And secondly, I can practice this in the area of my security. Look at verse 33. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Not long ago, I got this distressed call and this lady said, Brother Gerald, the devil has been talking to me and has condemned me, is condemning me for all the things that I've done wrong. And I said, you tell the devil to read Romans 8 and 1. And she said, huh? I said, you tell the devil to read Romans 8 and 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who can lay a condemnation against, the, against God's elect? For it is God who is the judge. So I can practice Romans 8.28 in my own security, knowing that nothing is going to happen that's going to harm me. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you.
that you do have a purpose, and that purpose is that we become like your son. Help us to be able to pray in an attitude of submission. Thy will be done. For I pray in Jesus' name. Would you like to come tonight and give your heart to Christ or join our church? Would you like to come, to come as this young man came this morning and say, I've been away from the Lord, I'm coming back. What a wonderful day it would be to place our life totally in His hands. Would you stand with me as we give our invitation? Would you come?